Peace to the people. We on the move from the nonsense to the good sense. This is Mike Africa Jr. And this is On The Move Podcast here on the Black Love Podcast Network where we illuminate the struggles of the people inform the uninformed and give you nothing but the truth on the move is here to disrupt the system and spark a global revolutionary change it changes what we need like sam cook said the change is going to come but like gandhi said you got to be the change you want to see in the world and even though gandhi wasn't perfect he said something that was true and when the power of truth is present you better respect it so check this out guess who's back she's an author and <laughs> activist she's just like one of the realest people i ever met in my life i never met her in person but i met her on the podcast a few times we talked on the phone we texting to each other she's a real one she's got a book out right now called how can we win and she's an on the move og please welcome to the show kim jones what's <laughs> up kim hey this is like my favorite show i feel like i'm not even like a guest on this show i'm like a co-host who shows up every now and again that make me feel good just hearing that that's how i feel too like it's like once we start talking you know how it is backstage we always gotta be like yo let's let's just not talk because we don't want to see like some of the stuff we be saying like the conversation is just so cool so smooth and so real look you know how this thing works we always got to start off with give me two activists are multifaceted and oftentimes people don't think of us as doing anything other than rallying and protesting but gimme two is a way to spotlight the other good things we got going on in our lives so let me start with you give me two good things you got going on in your life right now okay so one thing that i have going on in my life right now that i'm super super excited about is an art project that i'm working on uh-huh. and it's called the melanated mural project it was the brainchild of my dear friend Char bates who's another activist in these streets and she said you know what let's start doing these dope like block parties like old school block parties in the community and we'll put up a mural and we'll make it a community mural we'll have an official mural but then we'll have a second part of the mural where the community can come out and do community paint and i was like oh my god that's so dope yes we have to do this And so we had our first melanated art project and it was amazing. It was 30 degrees outside and yet people still came out. And the first mural that we put up is of the slain rapper and philanthropist Young Dolph. And I was saying to you guys, like it was 30 degrees outside. It was freezing, but the community still showed up. They still painted. They still skated. They still, you know, went went to the food trucks, played the games, did all the stuff at the block party. But the only person who thoroughly understood the assignment was Dolph. Dolph's wife, Mia, she was dressed like a whole Alaskan. (laughs) And I was like, Mia is the only person out here with good sense because the rest of us are like freezing and standing. We had like big fire barrels. We're all standing by the fire barrels and the heaters. And Mia was just like walking around and chatting with folks and chilling because she was like, I don't know what news, whether y'all check, but I checked the real one. (laughs) (laughs) How is she doing? I mean, it's a lot, but I will say this, like, To me, Mia is like the definition of beauty and strength. She is both strong enough to survive this for her children, but it has not stopped Mia from being a lion. Mia is also an activist, and that's actually how I met her. I met her on the front lines. I didn't meet her to do anything connected with her husband. I met her on the front lines because she has an organization she started well over a year ago called Black Men Deserve to Grow Old. She started that organization after her brother died due to gun violence. And so she created Black Men Deserve to Grow Old. And I tell, and I was telling people, I never even made the connection between Mia and Dolph. But Mia was a person, she would be right out there on the front lines with the rest of us. And then, like, Mia would just do dope stuff. Like, I remember when we were on the courthouse steps, when we were waiting on the indictment to come down for Jamarian Robinson. 
and we were all sitting outside for a reason. Mm. And all of a sudden, we see Mia pull back up, and she's got like hot cocoa and mm. coffee mm. and all of that for everybody outside. And so, you know, as as is with most activists, she is doing what she needs to do to heal herself, to be a good mom to her kids. But it, it has not stopped her from yelling out about what she was trying to do with Black Men Deserve to Grow Old. She's a lioness. She's still on the front lines. She's still doing what she needs to do. She's still you know, fighting her journey, but she's also, she's very smart and balanced, and she is taking care of herself and going through the healing process with her and her kids. That's really good to hear. Yeah. It's good to hear about the Melanated, you say the Melanated Mural Project? The Melanated Mural Project. And so what we are doing, we are honoring and memorializing amazing black people who unfortunately have been the victim of gun violence. And so Dolph was our first project. And again, we try to make it community fun, even though it's centered around a tough issue. Because we had like giant size Jenga and all that stuff. We had pictures of people playing like giant size checkers and the community came together. And there was one beautiful mural that was done of Dolph. But then there were other mini murals where the community was able to fill in the lines and paint and participate in the mural. Oh, it was done at the Atlanta, yeah, it was done at the Atlanta Skate Park which is a skate park that we that there's an amazing young man named TK who's a skater, a skateboarder, and he decided that black kids needed a skate park too. So he started building a skate park right in the middle of the hood in Bankhead. So the mural went up at his skate park. And so people were out there skating and on their bikes and their roller skates and their skateboards and their scooters and all of that. Bringing the community together around art and fun and a good cause is a really, really great combination. And, you know, we, yeah. we, we're going to have to come back to some of that. We'll figure out an, another way to do because there's so much information there. Right. And that's just a really yeah. good thing. That's part of Gimme Too. But that's a whole, you know, conversation in itself because of the work yeah. and the positivity around that. And black men deserve to grow old. And, and oh, man, I never even thought of it that way. But that is a very powerful statement. Right. Yeah. Give me the other one. And then I'm going to give you two. Ooh. Mike, this is an exclusive. I haven't oh, said this to anybody. What? Hold on. Ring I the bell. Be- exclusive. Come on. <laughs> and I will probably never say this again on an interview ever again. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, I got a boyfriend now. <gasps> wow. That's cool. Congratulations. <laughs> you got a boyfriend now? What's his name? Give me the skinny. Can you say his name? Or maybe you can't say his name. I can say his name. His name is Avery. And I say it takes a very, very special man to deal with me. <laughs> How long you been with this boyfriend? It's so dope because we started dating in April of 2021. Okay. And we just like old school, like courted each other and dated and really got to know uh. each other before we put any like labels on it or anything. So we didn't actually become official until last month because we just spent time just like actually Yo, getting to know each other. So dope. That's the way it's supposed to be done. The old school courting, the taking your time and making sure everything yeah. is right before you rush into anything. All right, Avery, I'm looking for you, bro. I got to shake your hand and make sure you're doing the right thing. Cause if you're not, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm gonna pay you a visit Avery. So just know I never been to ATL before to meet Kim yet, but I'll be there quicker than the mofo. Listen, Avery, handle your business. The right way. No, he's a good guy. He is good. really a good I'll, guy. I, you know what? I wouldn't expect nothing less. I wouldn't expect nothing <laughs> less. All right, so this is my turn. So I said mofo because my one of my gimme twos is I decided I'm going to try to stop cursing. Best of luck to you. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, yo, you should see your face. Your face was was one way. Then as soon as that all came all the way out, it would it changed it to something completely different. Listen, I said okay. So my parents were in here, and I was mm-hmm. talking to somebody on the phone, and I was just letting it rip. And um, and my mom didn't. She don't say nothing about me cursing. I've been cursing since I was a teenager. Right. She don't she don't care about words like that. But then I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, I shouldn't be saying all of these words like this in front of my mom. I'm not cursing like vulgar or any kind of like, yeah. you know, extra, extra. But it's peppered in there. Yeah. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to try to stop cursing. So thank you for the luck. I'll try to use that. <laughs> they can't see your eyes, but her eyes go back and forth like, yeah, whatever, Mike. <laughs> just so y'all know. So the other cool thing is I got your book. I started reading it. Well, wait, Mike, you got to tell them that you VIP because you had the book like five months before it came out. They ain't on my level of of getting a good book early like that. So I got the book. I started reading it and I'm just going through it. And I'm like, yo, the information in the book is like so clear that it's it's one of those things where you're like, how come I didn't think about that? (laughs) It's like we're economically in this crazy situation. I don't want to give too much of the book away, right? But the way you mm-hmm. broke it down with Monopoly, like people saw the, the video that went viral on mm-hmm. YouTube, it's so clear and it makes so much sense. You know, the thing that made me, it kind of po- bothered me, is not that it's happening, but it's it, the thing mm-hmm. that bothered me the most is that not enough of us recognize what's happening and we're not working together to get out of the situation. Right. You know what I That's mean? That's the big that's the big issue. Like getting the book and reading it is great. It's a lot of information and I'm learning a lot. It's very inspirational. It's very informative. And then I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, wow, more people need to hear this so that we can get to this generational wealth thing that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Right. Yeah. And I had a really hard time with that part of it. Can you tell us a little bit more about this thing we call generational wealth? Why is it so important for us to acquire that? You know, I want people to understand this is not like, I'm not one of the like black capitalists who is just like, we just need to get paid. This is not about that. What this is about for me is how the economic structure of this nation has been a co-parent to the systemic racism that has kept us murdered, oppressed, and marginalized. We have to become emotionally mature enough to look at the situations in the raw for what they are. And it's like slavery in and of itself was an economic decision. Jim Crow was a bad economic decision, but an economic decision all the same. The crack epidemic was an economic decision. Mm. People always want to say, People just want to do awful things to black people, and they do. But imagine if you thought about it in its real truth, which is actually worse, is that for economic gain, people are willing to not see the humanity of blackness for economic gain, not just due to the white supremacist delusion of me being better, but legitimately for the gain of of wealth and power. So people have really brutalized us And we think it's like a fully emotional action of I just don't like black people, but it's actually far worse. People have brutalized us because what slavery did was set a standard of the benefit of the brutalization of blackness, Mm. the economic benefit of it. Mm. Even when you think about how our communities are over-policed, that's usually based in economics as well. Our communities are over-policed because what it is is low-hanging fruit. If I need to make budget, and I come into a marginalized neighborhood, what's the chances of me finding somebody with a suspended license, lack of insurance, 
registration not up to date, potential warrant, all of that, economically disadvantaged people are definitely going to have more of those issues. So I can I can over-police your neighborhood on a weekend and make budget. Isn't that so sad? It's like black people are the, the target. I was talking to a brother, Bertie Africa. He said something to me that resonated with me. He said, there are groups of people that call black people the givers. And mm-hmm. when you say what you just said, it makes me think about what he said. Like, there's just so much that we've been stripped of, you know, that now we're so disconnected from each other yeah, and from unity and from prosperity, right? It's sad. Even when you look at something like Forbes just dropped the list of the highest paid TikTok entertainers and there wasn't one black person on that list, but a good chunk of the white people who are on that list became TikTok famous and built these empires imitating the black creators on TikTok. I mean, one of the most famous is the girls who did the renegade dance from the song by K-Camp. And it was a little teenage black girl who invented this dance. And these white girls who just all they did was steal the dance and do the dance on TikTok now have their own reality show. They have brand endorsements. They have all this stuff. And, and, and literally black people continue to give white creators on TikTok content to colonize and monetize. But yet we won't make a collective effort to all pull together to say, you know what, we're, get, we're, get, we're not going to participate in creating for any of these apps anymore. We're all going to move on to fan base that is black owned by, by the King Isaac Hayes' son, Isaac Hayes III. We as a collective have not said, okay, forget it. We're not going to do Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, any of that. We're all going to fan base. We're all just going to go to Fanbase, this app that's owned by a black man that, for the record, runs extremely well. Isaac has got some of the best engineers in the world that have helped him to create his app. He raised a ton of money through crowdfunding. He also got some great investors and has a highly functioning app that we're not going to. Yet we continue going to be on TikTok for the clout and not making the money. And then allowing white creators to colonize our content and make millions of dollars. And I say this in the book, that black people are the architects of cool. The etymology of this language has advanced because of us. But at the time in which we're creating it, we buy into the propaganda to think we're ignorant. And and the way that black people speak is cultural, not remedial. And then later it is monetized and profitized by our oppressor. And at the time in which little hood kids are inventing the new etymology, we, even us black people, the ones who have gained some wealth, who are enjoying their proximity to whiteness, demonize these kids, cause them ghetto, lowbrow, ignorant, all of this stuff. Mm. It's ridiculous. I think there's always a dual conversation that's happening. It is what is expected of those who are brutalizing us. And because a lot of people say, well, I ain't going to worry about the white man. I done moved on. We just got to do for self. Yes, I am a firm believer in doing for self. And that's why I think there is a duality in the conversation. There are lots of things that we need to do to heal ourselves and to work collectively together. But also, I ain't letting him off the hook. Mm, mm, There were billions mm. of dollars 
made on the backs of black people. Yeah. There was tons of yes. money stolen from us. And I, and I break these things down in the book about what went wrong with the Freedmen's Bureau, what went wrong with Freedmen's Bank, how redlining affected us, how education affected us, mm. how the building of the mm. American suburb was done exclusively for white people. The U.S. government underwrote $200 billion in home lending to build up the white suburban class, and 98% of that went to white people, and then they want to tell us we got it on our own. You ain't get it on your own. You are part of one of the largest welfare programs ever created mm. in the U.S., which put white people on a pathway to generational wealth with the first tool you need in generational wealth building, which is land ownership. Mm. Listen, you talking about it. You talking about it. I'm sure the people that's listening to the show right now is like, yo, this is powerful. This is deep information. And like you're right, there is a dual conversation. We definitely have to recognize that this thing we call the white man has impoverished us and and attacked us and demonized us and imprisoned us and just took it, trying to extract every morsel of goodness and positivity and content entertainment everything living off the backs of our, our of us right but there is a really important conversation to have about us doing for self too right yeah uh, we do have to recognize our own culpability yeah. We have to recognize our own ignorance and our own lack of protection for our, ourselves. That's a big mm -hmm. conversation, too. That yeah. conversation is probably bigger than the other conversation. If you think about it, Africans in Africa starting there and the fact that we've allowed ourselves or given some of us to this American man and allowed us to be put in chains. So that that's a conversation, too. But. Given that we are here in America, given mm -hmm. that we are here and bankrolling their institutions and their banks. I was watching this show. I think it's one of those shows that come on, like one of those talent shows where people are trying to make it. Right. And these, these old mm. these old white couple got on the stage. They started doing hip hop dance. Right. And they were they were doing their thing, you know, whatever. It's a couple of older people. And they mm. both of them had white hair and they were dressed in these colorful clothes like hip hop used to look in the in the 90s. Remember how Fresh Prince used to dress, you know, with the colorful yeah. stuff and they're yeah. dressed like and, and the people yeah. are applauding them and they're getting up and they're hooraying and hurrahing and all of this stuff. It was a group of people at my house at the time and they were clapping, too. And I'm sitting there pissed off. I'm pissed off because I remember a time when not only was rap music not even seen as music it wasn't right. seen as art it wasn't entertainment or uh, bt didn't exist yet mtv wouldn't right. even play black people they wouldn't play black music and right. now it's hip-hop really play black they ain't play people. nothing black and then and which then, is why people didn't realize it was an anomaly the first time they played michael jackson when they played it michael was a, jackson it was like a and, and thing. the thing that pissed me off about it was that these people we, we couldn't even get a shake and now here they are on the show you know, and getting standing ovations because of it. And probably doing it in a mediocre way. They're probably oh, it ain't not look even good. exceptional. It ain't look good. They were yeah. just getting that attention because they were older people. That's And they were white. Right. That was it. You know, whatever. Right. Do and, and, it, and it leads to the narrative, right, that we have to do, every, to, in order for us to break into spaces where we are not traditionally seen, we have to exercise exceptionalism. We have to be Tiger Woods level good at Tiger golf. Tiger Woods of golf, right. Venus Williams yeah, we gotta and Serena Williams of, of, of tennis. We got to go in there right. kicking ass and take, oh, I cursed. Urgh, I lost. I cursed. <laughs> <laughs> I lost. Oh, oh, that's strike one. I'm, give me three strikes. We got to go in there. We got to be so good and so exceptional that we stand out. And, and even then, 
we can't get equal equal mm-hmm. shared. Venus and Serena fought so no. hard to get equal pay for women and 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 that whole And they thing. still talk about them like dogs. They are not just the two greatest female players. They are the two greatest tennis players of all time and they still talk to them, talk about them and to them with disrespect, which is why that one tennis meet when Serena looked at that dude and was like, you owe me an apology? Yes. I was like, tell him, sis, yes. you're the greatest play, pay, tennis player of all time. If he thinks that he is above you, he is living fully in the white supremacist delusion. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, she asked the question, would you do this if it was a, you know, she mentioned another tennis player, a male tennis player. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, that's a whole thing too. So how's things going with your book? How are you feeling about it now? And how is the community receiving it? You know, it's it's dope because it's being extremely well received. And then it's being extremely hated by those who I expected to hate it, which means I'm like right on target. target. I'm right on target. I'm I'm pissing off all the right people with it, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) Here, I, you know, I am, I am open about the fact that I am neurodivergent. I have ADHD. And so because of that, my ADHD brain wants to consume things in a certain way. And so I write in that way. I'm like, look, I want to be quick, concise, to the point, and clear. Like, I am I am like a person. I am I am like that series. Remember that series that used to be so popular back in the day for dummies? Like, cooking oh, yeah. for dummies and right. this for dummies. It's like, I am social justice for dummies. Like, I'm going to make it so plain and clear because of the way that my brain works. <laughs> my brain does not want a whole lot of fluff. The ADHD brain is not interested in filler. We're like, put the just the facts, man. Just the facts. Give me the straight. Give me the raw. Give me, give me what it is. And so I, I, I think that way. So I write that way. And so I think that's part of why people are receiving it so well is because of its clarity and conciseness in terms of consumption. I don't beat people over the head with a whole lot of flowery words. It's like this is this is this is what it is. How does Steve Harvey accept? He loves it. You know, Steve is a big fan of mine. I think he just likes all of this like wild energy. You know what I mean? It's like I was. This is the second time that I've done his show, and he said something to me. The first time that I did his show, he said, "We are in an era now where if we're smart, we're gonna listen to black women." Mm. And I was like, "I received that, Uncle Steve. Thank you." <laughs> and you know, I know I'm a little, a little radical, a little wild. In some ways, I would be expecting, you know, he's he's from an older generation. In some ways, you know, they, they were groomed in respectability, you know, politics and that you have to present yourself a certain way and speak this way and, and, and be acceptable. But I've, be, I've found it really amazing that the older generation, people like him and other people like him from older generations, a lot of the old school activists and stuff that I have communicated with, they're just like, nah, don't change anything about who you are and how you're presenting. This is the time for that. We had to do things the way we had to do things because of the time we were in. We are we are in an unapologetic time now, so continue to be unapologetic. I really love the fact that he said what he said about black women. I mean, I'm surrounded by black women, starting mm-hmm. from my wife and my mom and Pam and all these other people, and, and then there's women that raised me, my grandmother and my aunts. There's so much value to the messages that they give me just mm-hmm. being them. Like when people hear me speak at, you know, at, a, at an event or whatever, and they say, oh my God, you speak with so much heart and so much passion and so much this, that, and the other. The only thing that comes to my mind is all of these women that contributed to 
who I am and the heart that I have. People, my dad says to me, he said, Mike, you got a good heart, man. You got a good heart. And on the film, 40 Years a Prisoner, he said that too. He said, Mike has such a good heart. I can only attribute that good heart to the women around me. So to hear you say that Steve Harvey said that about women, it like resonates with me. And I think people need to listen to black women more than myself too, because, I, well, personally myself, when I can't make a decision, Robin be like, yeah, well, you shouldn't have been dealing with that fool in the first place. She quick with the decision making thing. Like she just be like, listen, if you want to, you know, mess around and go back and forth with this fool who you know is a fool, then you a fool too. <laughs> Some of the women in my circle, they take time to think about things and, and all of that. But when it all come down to it, the combination of these different powerful black women, you know, help mm -hmm. shape who I am. Steve Harvey, man, appreciate you, man. That message is powerful, man. Appreciate you. <laughs> all right how can people connect with you on you on your social media you you mentioned the thing fan base how yes. can people connect with you if they want to chop it up with you if they want to reach out to you if they want to send you a couple dollars for what you're doing because donations are important yes. how can people reach yes. you they can reach me on fan base and it's just my full name kimberly latrice jones on fan base and y'all support fan base fan base is a black owned social media app stop talking about instagram is shadow banning you and tiktok is stealing your content and facebook is blocking your views go on over here to fan base is black owned go over to fan base i'm kimberly latrice jones on fast base but if you do the required white man's paperwork and you want to be over there i'm on instagram and tiktok at kimberly latrice jones <laughs> they know where to find you they know where to find you all right, y'all. That's a wrap. It's it's a wrap. Thank y'all for listening. If you like what you heard, tell a friend to help me get on the move. Leave us a review and give us five stars because they're doing a rating thing on Spotify now, so no excuses. Make sure you follow the podcast so you never miss an episode drop. Until next week, peace out. On a Move with Mike Africa Jr. is executive produced by me, Mike Africa Jr., and Tommy Oliver, produced by Crystal Hill, edited by Masu McLemore, and made for you, the people. <laughs>